0: I'm going to invite you to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide where the, uh, the text that the sermon this afternoon is based on is found. Uh, we are in the gospel or the good news according to Luke. Uh, this is a, a carefully researched, organized, laid out first century document which details the life and ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's based on uh, first century eyewitness accounts, other documents that were floating around at the time. Uh, And Luke wrote, he tells us why he wrote his gospel. He wrote it with uh, his readers in mind, both ancient and modern. And he says in chapter one, he writes that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught about Jesus. So Luke is writing this gospel so that your faith in Jesus would be strengthened, so that it would be built up. The gospel or the good news, the message that we'll hear over and over again as we go through Luke is that uh, God himself has entered into our world to overcome sin and all of its deadly effects. And then he's come into our world through Jesus Christ. And it's in his life, his death and his resurrection, um, that sin and death are finally overcome. Luke chapter four, where we're in this afternoon, is the beginning of Jesus's public teaching ministry, where he announces this good news. So if you look at uh, the back middle portion, we'll have our reading. And Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, Has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us again. Our Father, we thank you for sending your son. And again, when you saw us in sin and death and misery, You were not content with it, but out of your mercy and your grace and your kindness for those you created, you came down. Father, as we listen to this word, pray that you would move our hearts uh, to believe, to trust, to have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There's an old saying, um, the same water that softens the potato hardens the egg same boiling water that softens the potato, hardens the egg. And that's a really good description of a phenomenon we'll be seeing throughout Jesus's public teaching ministry. Uh, The preaching of Jesus softens some and hardens others. The exact same words that will help and renew and transform and bring people into the light are the exact same words and deeds that will sour and embitter and enrage other people. Same Jesus, same words, same preaching, radically different results. The preaching of Jesus softens some and hardens others. It's just a principle we have to uh, be familiar with as we go into Jesus' ministry. In the Gospel of Mark, another you know, first, first, uh, first century account of Jesus' life, we get some of the content of Jesus' earliest sermons. In Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark quotes Jesus as saying this, this being a theme in all of his preaching The time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Short, punchy, clear gospel message. And so when we look at verses 14 through 15 of the text we're looking at this afternoon, we see that Jesus has been preaching this message throughout Galilee, which is a a northern province in Israel. And he's been preaching in the surrounding country. And in all of these little towns in Israel, there were synagogues. These are local gatherings of Jewish people where they gather every Sabbath day or more um, for worship. And that happened on the Saturday. And uh, Jesus would go throughout Galilee in these early days and he proclaimed this message I've got good news for you. The kingdom of God is at hand. This, this long awaited era of God's favor and presence and power is coming. It's here, it's in me. Let go of your own little kingdoms. Uh, join this one. This is the eternal kingdom, the one that is built on a sure foundation. Repent, believe this good news. And Jesus, you see in these early verses, this message is incredibly well received wherever he goes. Uh, Look at verse 15. Uh, As he taught in their synagogues, he was glorified by all. That is, he was praised by everybody. Um, People were uh, astonished at his teaching. It It was powerful. It was potent. It was convincing. Um, I've mentioned, uh, when we first moved here in November, 2019, I was stuck in traffic just around Citadel Hill for, you know, going on an hour and I you know, I was like, is, is it a concert? Is there a sports event? Is there a parade? You know, a couple, you know, massive accidents, but it was none of those. It was Barack Obama in town to talk. He was just talking. That's all. He was sitting or standing on a stage, just talking and, and people flocked to hear him teach. And something similar is happening in Jesus's early ministry. Jesus is just preaching. He's speaking. And crowds uh, gather around him and they're all fired up by him. And this is actually an important thing to think about when we think of who Jesus is. Um, Jesus' is preaching the good news of the kingdom is a central aspect of why he came. Uh, preaching the message of the kingdom of God is the bread and butter of Jesus' ministry. His Preaching or his his ministry, as we'll see as we go through Luke, it's punctuated by other things, by miraculous healings, uh, by, by feedings of thousands of people, um, by you know, really interesting one-on-one confrontations or conversations with individuals. Uh, climactically, of course, his public ministry will end with his crucifixion and his resurrection. But preaching, using words, telling people the truth about God and his word, expressing the beauty of forgiveness and welcome for all, um, expressing the goodness of holiness. This is Jesus's MO. Uh, Preaching is Jesus's standard operating procedure, wherever he goes. It's the rule, not the exception. Uh, Just later on in Luke chapter four, we'll see this. Jesus um, does his first healings in the book of Luke and uh, some of the people who are healed by him, they beg him to stay, stay in our village. You know, we could use somebody like you. And this is what Jesus responds. He says, "I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose." As we consider who Jesus is, we have to we have to consider this. Jesus is the preacher man. Um, He sends out his disciples to follow in his footsteps, to be preachers, to to express with words the coming kingdom of Christ. That's what he tells his disciples at the end of Mark's gospel. He tells them, you too, you go into all the world and proclaim, preach the gospel to the whole creation. And this is why it's important for us to to camp here for a minute. I think we often think of Christianity, I think of the church's ministry, uh, that action is better than words. What we really need in the church is less talk, more rock. Um, We imagine Jesus as somebody who primarily came to do stuff, um, to be with people, to do good deeds, to heal, to be a model, to be an example of loving action. I think, especially recently, probably in the last couple of decades, the work of the gospel that the church has been entrusted with is seen as the work not of preaching, not of speaking up, but of working for justice and peace in our world. And maybe you've heard an expression which kind of, I think, summarizes this as well. Preach the gospel, use words when necessary. It's kind of a marching call in the church. Now, what we see in the accounts of Jesus's life isn't Jesus primarily doing humanitarian work, though that is very good work. Rather, what we see Jesus doing is traveling around instructing people, preaching. Um, Jesus certainly cares about the physical needs of people. Uh, But what we see him primarily focusing on is speaking and instructing. Now, what's fantastic if you are attentive to Jesus' preaching and instruction is that this good news creates a certain kind of person. It transforms the person who hears it into the kind of person who cares about justice and peace. The kind of person who will lay down their selfishness to serve the needs of others The gospel transforms us. It's not just information that comes into our mind. It's a transformative, powerful element. It tells us that we are more selfish, more self-interested than we ever thought possible, and yet we are more loved and more welcomed than we could ever dream of. And this good news, when it really sinks into our souls, it changes the kind of people that we are. It changes our priorities. When you really believe the message that Jesus is is, is preaching here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. You will be kind, become the kind of person that is concerned with God's coming kingdom, not your own. You will love your neighbors. You will love, your, love God as you never have before. The theologian J.I. Packer, he sums it up this way. The gospel does bring us solutions to problems of justice and peace, but it does so by first solving the deepest of all human problems, the problem of man's relationship with his maker. And unless we make it plain that the solution to these former problems, justice and peace, depends on the settling of this latter one, we are misrepresenting the message of the gospel and becoming false witnesses of God. Did you get that? Only through preaching the gospel can we hear God's offer to our deepest problem, sin and death. And only when we first deal with this problem Can we be formed into the kind of people, can we have the kind of church that goes into our world with love and service and mercy, fighting injustice and suffering wherever we find it? It's only when we get the gospel message right that we also get justice and mercy. If we neglect the gospel message in all of its sharp angles and difficulties, we may get temporary justice and peace. We might get counterfeit versions of it, but we will never get the deep, ultimate, lasting peace that we in our world most desperately need. And so this is what we'll see. Jesus's public ministry is focused on preaching the gospel. And this preaching softens some and it hardens others. So let's look closer at this preaching of Jesus. And really this section in, in Luke 4 is a microcosm of all of Jesus's public ministry. We're going to the, see these same things happening over and over again in different contexts. Uh, so this is, this is kind of the outline for this afternoon. Jesus preaches to give hope to the hopeless and salvation to the stranger but provokes the proud. Jesus preaches to give hope to the hopeless and salvation to the stranger, but he provokes the proud. This is the first part. Jesus preaches to give hope to the hopeless. After spending time traveling around the region, getting recognized for his his potency in preaching, Jesus returns to his hometown. The small one horse town of Nazareth. And he's, he's the hometown hero here. This is Sidney Crosby you know, returning to Cole Harbor. Yeah, you, you've been doing real good out there, but you're our guy. You're from here. And so in verse 16, you can see that there, he returns to the place that he has been brought up in. And on the Sabbath day, again, this day of worship and rest, Jesus is invited to come to the local synagogue in Nazareth to preach. The text that's being read that uh, Saturday is from the 8th century BC prophet Isaiah, one of the major prophets in Israel's time. And if you look in verse 18, uh, you see that that he begins this reading. They didn't have books in those days. It was a giant scroll that you'd open up. I don't think there was chapter headings or verse numbers. And so you just kind of have to find where you were in Isaiah, looking line by line. And so um, the place in the text that he arrives in is Isaiah 61. And this is what it says. We'll just read it again in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. First, I hope hope you heard the emphasis on preaching in that section in Isaiah. That's what the word proclaim means. Uh, He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, set me apart, he's called me to proclaim good news. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, but, But here's the point of this. Look at the recipients of this good news. It's the poor, it's the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. Why does Jesus preach the good news? Jesus preaches to give hope to the hopeless. The poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed, or the bruised, they were, they're the most socially and religiously beaten up people in ancient Israel. They were dependent on the kindness and the mercy and the generosity of others for their very life. They, they couldn't work. They couldn't, they couldn't provide food or shelter or clothing. They had no income. They had no influence in society. They had no strength in themselves. Uh, they could not join temple worship. They were excluded from the people of God in worship. They had no prospects. They had no bright future to look forward to. Uh, they, They had no hope fundamentally. And Jesus comes for these people and he says, I've got hope for you. Though you are poor, I come to offer you inexpressible riches. Though you are captive to sin and death, I've come to set you free. Though you are blind, I will open your eyes to the glorious future that God has planned for you. Though you're oppressed, you're bruised, you're beaten up, you're battered by the weight of this life in our messed up world, freedom's just around the corner, and it's found in me. Uh, the Anglican minister, J.C. Ryle, he says that knowing this reality of Jesus' ministry is just absolutely essential to our faith. He writes, It's good to know that Jesus is God. It's good to have your theological ducks in the row, to know that Jesus himself is the Son of God, to know that he's Lord that he commands us, that we must obey what he says, that he's king, uh, that we should follow his lead wherever he goes, but we must not rest there, he says. If we hope to be saved, we must know Jesus is the friend of the poor in spirit, the physician of the diseased heart, the deliverer of the soul in bondage. These are the principal offices he came to fulfill uh, on earth. Why does Jesus preach? He preaches to give hope to the hopeless. But second, Jesus preaches to give salvation to the stranger, salvation to the stranger. Look at verses 20 through 21. All the eyes of the synagogue are locked on Jesus. They're fixed on him and the words that he's just spoken. And Jesus says, this scripture, written 800 years before my time, this section from Isaiah 61 is being fulfilled right here, right now. The hope that Isaiah wrote about 800 years ago, it is being ultimately fulfilled in your presence today in Nazareth, in this synagogue. And this is very hard for the synagogue to believe. Jesus may be like regionally famous, but he's just the kid who grew up around the corner to them. Um, there are people present in the synagogue who have known him since childhood, and they're like, really? Really? You? You're, you're the one that Isaiah was writing about? Verse 22, it shows the problems that they're having. If you look at it in the text, all spoke well of him. They marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, and they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And We know from earlier from Luke, Joseph isn't Jesus' biological father, that, that God the Father is, that, that Mary bore Jesus in, in, in a miracle called the incarnation, the virgin birth. Um, but for them, They just understand Jesus as a local boy. How could Jesus be the one that Isaiah wrote about? Wasn't he just the carpenter's son? Jesus responds to this form of doubt. If you look at verse 43 with a a proverb, just a a local idiom that everybody knew, physician, heal yourself. Uh, And this seems to be what's happening in the text. The people in the synagogue seem to want Jesus to do something grand to prove who he says he is. Um, They've got their doubts, And in order for Jesus to overcome their doubts, he's got to prove to them something. Maybe do a miracle or a sign from heaven. It's not explicit here in Luke, but in the other gospels, it seems before he ends up in Nazareth, he's in the region and he does some miracles. And so maybe the people in Nazareth have heard that he's healed some, he's done something miraculous. And so they say, okay, we want to see that too. We want you to do something that will overcome our doubts. But interestingly, Jesus, he will have none of it says, a a prophet is never welcome in his own own hometown. Uh, Look at verses 25 through 27 for Jesus' response to this doubt. He goes back and he gives them two stories from the Old Testament, uh, two times where the locals were left empty and the strangers were filled. Two different stories where the locals were left empty and the strangers were filled. In verse 25 through 26, he tells the story of a famine that happened uh, in ancient Israel. And he he mentions the prophet Elijah. Elijah was sent by God to proclaim a message of, you guessed it, repentance and belief. Uh, This is a message that God hit with his people over and over again. Israel was in this time where they were straying from God. They were worshiping other gods. And when Elijah came with this message to repent and believe, they chased him away. They wanted none of God. They wanted none of this repentance. And so Elijah went to a town called Zarephath in the land of Sidon, and God visited salvation on the Sidonian widow. She was fed. Uh, She was cared for during the famine, but not Israel. The same thing happened to Elijah's apprentice, Elisha. In verse 27, Jesus tells the story of Elisha cleansing uh, what was a military figure, a man named Naaman, who was a Syrian. And Jesus makes the point. There were lots of Jewish people who had leprosy. Leprosy is referring to a a variety of skin conditions. But Jesus makes the point. It was the stranger, the foreigner, Naaman, who got salvation, not the Israelites. The locals were left empty. The strangers were filled. Jesus is saying the exact same thing is happening right now here in Nazareth. The people you'd expect to receive salvation, his own people are rejecting him. They want nothing to do with him. And so now the, the most unlikely people, the strangers, will receive salvation. <clears throat> and we'll see this throughout Jesus's public ministry. The people who were despised and rejected in ancient Israel, tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, widows, the poor, they flock to Jesus. They are filled. But the respectable people The people with money and influence and power, with religious pedigrees, the priests, the elders, the teachers, what do they do? They scoff at Jesus. They reject him. They chase him out of town. And so they go empty. When talking to a a group of priests, of religious experts and elders, in Matthew 21, Jesus says this to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. So Jesus is preaching, listen, it gives hope to the hopeless. It brings salvation to the stranger, but also this, his preaching provokes the proud. Jesus' preaching provokes the proud. Look at verses 28 through 30. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, or wrath, I think you could say. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff But passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus escapes in some some way we're not told. For some in the crowd of the synagogue, no doubt, Jesus's message was a longed-for message of hope to them. They had had no reason for hope for a long time. And they hear these these words from Isaiah 61 saying, hope is here. They were a stranger. They they had been rejected by the local uh, people. And so Jesus's message came as welcome news, as great news. But as we see here for others, they heard a message that was just filled with insults and threats. The same water that that softens the potato, hardens the egg. The preaching of Jesus here softens some and hardens others. They hear Jesus saying very clearly that they too are like the Israelites back in Elijah's and Elisha's day. They too are just proud and rebellious people of old who will just chase away God's prophets and they will too ignore God's call for repentance and faith they too will be left empty and strangers and the poor will be filled instead of them and so how do they react to this provocative message that Jesus is expressing the most ironic act They act exactly like the rebellious, proud people of old. (laughs) They just step into their shoes and do what these people have always done. They chase Jesus out and they try to kill him. If they're thinking, we're not like those people, Jesus, they did like the most bizarre thing possible to try to demonstrate that they weren't like those people. How do you test if somebody is proud? Here's one way. You tell them they're proud and then you see how they react. A proud person doesn't take kindly to being called proud. They will respond, you know you've insulted me, right? Like, how dare you? Who are you to stand in judgment over me? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than me? The humble person. The person who has been convicted that their their pride is deadly to them. They feel its presence and its power working in them. How will they react to being told that they are proud? Well, humbly. They might say, I'm actually worse. I'm worse than you know. You've only seen my outward behavior. You have no idea what I think at night. You have no idea what I'm like in secret. You don't know how deep this pride goes. There's a saying that when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks is the one that you hit. And here, Jesus' preaching hits. His preaching provokes the proud. And here's an application for followers of Jesus today. Jesus requires of you, people who are called to go out with the same good news, to have both boldness and courage. If you want to be obedient to Jesus' call to share this great news with people, hope to the hopeless, salvation to the strangers, you too, at the same time, using the same words, will provoke the proud. This work of gospel ministry, of sharing the gospel with those who need it, requires boldness and courage. People will hate you for this message. It is unavoidable. Who could be more holy and kind and generous than Jesus Christ? And he is the one that people try to throw off a a cliff and who one day will crucify. Jesus says this. He says this to his disciples in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And if you're like me, uh, you like being liked. Um, You don't like being thought poorly of by others. You don't want to seem ignorant and stupid and uncultured. You don't want to be misunderstood. You don't want to provoke people. But if that is your goal in life, you will never be able to obey the instructions of Jesus. You will never open your mouth in a way that offers genuine hope and healing to people who desperately need it. Because the gospel, the real gospel of Jesus Christ, not only gives us good news, it tells us some bad news about ourselves. It reveals that we are proud rebels that need forgiveness and welcome. Uh, If we never provoke anybody, then we may not be faithfully Preaching the good news. If we never provoke anybody, we will also never offer people real hope because the preaching of the gospel, the same words used in one context and the other, softens some and it hardens others. So let's end here. Here's your poetic reading of Luke chapter 4. Through the preaching today, you are sitting in the synagogue of Luke chapter 4. Jesus himself has spoken to you through his word. And like the first hearers, your eyes are being locked on Jesus, fixed on him and his words. Are you being softened or are you being hardened? Will you come to Jesus humbly and broken for healing and for peace, which only he can give? Or you try to chase him away, throw him off a cliff, get him far away from you? Christ has come, he's come for this purpose, to give hope to the hopeless and to no one else. The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick. If you do not see your desperate need for Jesus, the hope that he has to offer, Jesus will say you have a special kind of blindness, a deep blindness that doesn't see your pride and your need for help. But if you're here and you feel hopeless, You know your need for help. You feel isolated and cut off from the respectable and the powerful people of this world. You feel left out. Or if you're a Christian and you have forgotten what it feels like to be without hope in the world, Jesus has come. And he preaches to you right now a message of hope to the hopeless, salvation to the stranger. If you've got a need, Jesus is the ultimate hope that you've been looking for. If you feel far from home, Jesus offers you his welcome. Don't be hardened. Be softened. Come to him. Commit yourself to him. Trust in him. He himself is your peace. Now may you believe the good news that God has entered into the world to undo sin and all of its effects, and he will accomplish this mission through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son. May this good news transform you into the heart. So that you see Jesus' kingdom of justice and peace come on earth as it is in heaven. May you, this afternoon, who are without hope, poor, blind, captive, bruised, and oppressed, may you hear the hope that is being offered freely to you. May you who are strangers, who feel isolated and lonely and rejected, receive Jesus' message of welcome and salvation. And may you who are here, who are proud, who feel even now your heart being hard some, be softened and humbled by this word and give yourself wholly to Jesus Christ, who is our peace. Let's pray. Father, it's a comfort to know for proud people like us that the same words that harden also soften and so there is hope for the proud and for the hard-hearted. There is no other message but this good news of Jesus Christ come for us that can soften our hearts. I pray that you would, by your spirit, help us to receive this good news, that you would transform our lives, that our confession uh, would, be, would be deep, and that our hope for forgiveness would be sure not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. Amen.